Hello. Hello. Oh, so fancy. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, but I can't hear me. Well, there you go. Well, that's good. Well, you could have but those in okay. and then those other ones over. I'll put those over and over top of the other things. <laughs> that seems really good. They're a little notorious in their needing of energy, and so maybe that's doing it. Like um, performance energy or like electricity? <laughs> uh, a little bit of both, a little bit of both. <laughs> um, yeah, my, um, my child has a cold, a cough, uh, as does my partner. So between the two of them... Oh, there's no sleep for Adrian. No, but... I was thinking about the, um, and I, I sh should have, um, well, maybe I'll just pull it up right now. I was thinking about the Globe and Mail article about the original practices. Oh, yeah. Shakespeare. I didn't read it. I don't. Yeah, I was like, I don't. You don't read it? You don't want to read it? I, I haven't read it. You don't I, care to? I, I don't know that I care to spend one of my 10 free articles like i i feel like i almost know what he's gonna say but that's probably presumptuous i should probably read it i think i've got i'm sure there's a way around the paywall yeah that's interesting i never really thought about it about but uh, my 10 free articles i don't really meet those out because i don't really, really i don't, I don't read don't... 10 <laughs> I don't either, but well, but I read. The problem is, I read sports and stuff. Like I, oh yeah, I don't. I'm often like, oh, I don't really want to read these arts ones. I'm sorry, Kelly. Um, well, I should I, just copy and paste it into the um, the <laughs> chat window. <laughs> yeah. oh, the problems with paywalls become evident. Do do do. Oh, it's not even listen. I I can't even find it. He, uh, if you Google Global Mail original practices, that was the first one up. This is this is the one, but the all male casting, on the other hand, did not make me see the play in a new light. All it revealed was a barely hidden homophobic streak in the audience, where there was much tittering at the prospect of men kissing men. Yeah, I, that Twitter, that titter, I have. The Twitter titter. The Twitter titter. Maybe it's probably related. Uh, yeah, that makes me crazy. The other, uh, yeah. Yeah, and there's a whole, I feel like there's a genre of theater that's about that titter. Oh, no, I got Stratford Goes Back in Time. That was your number one? That was my number one in the Globe and Mail. Oh, and then here we go. Why Original Practice is Shakespeare. Um... Yeah, I don't, I would be curious, I, but I wouldn't be curious enough to, like it's, it just doesn't super interest me, or the reasons for it don't, or you, you're doing it on Shakespeare, like doing it on something else might be fun. Like it, it's, a, it's a potentially interesting rehearsal strategy, but it's not 
I, there's some weird authenticity claims or something that are part of it that I get confused by. I think that that's part of his critique of the practice of original practices, that it is the striving for authenticity that, that doesn't feel authentic. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, I think there's a totally valid issue in like the need to, to do a gimmick. Like it gets news stories, like it gets print. He wrote about it. Mm -hmm. Therefore it was successful in getting more attention to that production. But I wonder too, like, is it, is the idea of original practices something that's more interested to practitioners in the sense of the, you know, like the, the actors performing it's, uh, it's in a sense, a an academic revisiting of a perspective on the text because 12th night has the whole cross cross dressing thing that's built into play oh does it would... say whether the twins look alike because is the are the twins in 12th night yeah the twins are in 12th night i'm glad to hear that you care as much about shakespeare as i do which is i mean this shakespeare that i really <laughs> i'm totally into i just it's uh i'm teasing you <laughs> no i um no i, I like would... I, it is it's uh i like yes i think it's probably we care like historians, people who care about theater history care a little bit more. I, I can imagine part of the pleasure for me, like seeing a long run of an original practices, that's less interesting. I think there's lots of good cases for liking to watch people improvise and think. Like I think one of the, the exciting thing to me about that way of rehearsal, whether or not it's original or not, the like, you learn your lines, you do a bunch of work on your own and with a director maybe and with a choreographer even. And then you show up and you don't know what the other people are going to do. That's potentially really exciting to me to watch because I really like watching actors make choices. Mm -hmm. And so I can, I can, and I like seeing them making choices. I don't like those choices to be hidden, right? Which is why I like staged readings because I can still see them dealing with choice making about being an actor. Um, so I can imagine that being super, super great in original practices, but like the, the frocks and stuff would also then put me off of that. Like I'd be like, uh, it's not like this. Is, this was a rehearsal strategy to save money and to prevent theft. Like that's mm -hmm. like it was. It was. It it, it helped not steal the script because there wasn't copyright. Um, if you didn't give everyone a copy, and it was probably harder to photocopy then. Um, but it doesn't seem like like what it's. Yeah, it seems like a a gimmick that is, doesn't reveal anything particularly fascinating about the plays. Does it say whether the I twins look alike? Does that matter to you? It matters That's to me. That's the second time you've asked that I know, question. I know. Well, it matters to me because, <laughs> because one of the best things. Because they're supposed things, to be twins. <laughs> no, no. Because one of the best things that I, um, I forget where I think, I don't know, I don't know where I listened to this on some podcast, so it must be true. Uh, that, that because like the, and, uh, um, 
Holger is going to, I can ask Holger and he'll write about it. Do you know Holger? No. Sim, Sim? Uh, he, he has written a lot. Of, he's a prof at U of T Scarborough and a blogger mm-hmm. and active in battling or agreeing with or just writing back and forth with Kelly a lot. Mm-hmm. But is an actual Shakespeare scholar. So, but the thing that I heard is that because they were companies, they wouldn't, you wouldn't have two actors who could play the same part. Like that would be a ridiculous right. like expense. So you would have, you know, you'd only have one tall skinny guy and then you'd have one short guy and then you'd have one round funny guy. Like it would be like you would have your character types. And so when you would have twins, they would never look alike because they wouldn't have two actors who looked alike in the company. And so that part of those twin jokes are about how much they don't look alike as actors. Like part of potentially what the original audience is laughing at is that there's this joke about them being twins. Right, when they're clearly not. When they're clearly not. I mean, also because they're men or whatever. Like that, that stuff is, I mean, I also, yeah. Well, I just um, rescan the article and no, he, they don't mention whether or not the twins look alike. Sorry. But I'd be point. excited if they, w- if they didn't, right? Like if they made that gag of like, okay, we're going to hire a company of actors who could do every Shakespeare play and then we're going to get them to do Twelfth Night. Like it's not because there wasn't, you know, so much the thing of like, oh, he's funny in that role. Um. And that gets like that, that excites my like ensemble drama guy. Like, he's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is great fun. This is just a group of people trying to make a show work. How you bring up like the relationship to the audience and, and the in jokes with the audience. So it did, reading it made me think immediately of, well, what are the original practices for the audience? You know, do we all have to stand here for three hours? Yeah, and, you know, do we get do we, snacks we, at least? Can we go like, can we gamble on the floor? Can we? Can we chit chat? Chit chat, visit prostitutes in the boxes. Like, yeah, the original practices were very different of the audience. The Globe, mm-hmm. though, they talked about when they remade the Globe that the theater didn't work until the audience was standing, and that they had like they had to make the audience stand. Like the, when they rebuilt it architecturally perfectly. The actors mm-hmm. were like, this is a shitty room to play when everybody's like sitting and then right. they brought in a test audience and had them stand and the actors were like, oh yeah, now we're cooking. Right. Um, that stuff fascinates. I mean, the effective architecture on theater fascinates me. Well, there you go. Original practices, original thumbs down. Practices, thumbs down. <laughs> or like thumbs, like original values of practice. Like, I don't know. Like there's that sense of like, oh, there's the energy. All of those things I get. I just don't, I feel like in a long run, in a long run, then I want more directorial like shape because. I'm, I'm sure there's other things going on in the production. And Nathan saw the show and, and uh, he really enjoyed it. And. And I, and, you know, <laughs> reading the article um, very quickly. That, is, that, you know, it's a strong production, but I think that the article is really 
in really interrogating this idea of original practice. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, pretty close to a marketing idea. Like it gets, it's, you know, Stratford, to answer the question, like, what do we do with Romeo and Juliet for the 40th time that we put it on? Oh, let's do an original practices. Okay, and like everyone can get sort of excited in that internally. It will get a whole bunch of news stories in a way that maybe a like another Shakespeare festival does another Shakespeare play won't. Right. Um, so it's, I mean, that, I guess that's cynical, which maybe is a thing to talk about. <laughs> Cynicism. Cynicism. Well, I've clicked through to ring in Chinese New Year with this feast. So I've moved on. Uh, oh, what, what, <laughs> what Chinese New Year? Feast. What Chinese New Year's? No. Oh, um, the Chinese New Year. Um, <laughs> the one. The one, the only. Scallops and black bean sauce. Looks no. fantastic. Yeah. You just need to get 12 large scallops. Because, you know, Ottawa is the a hotbed capital. for seafood. <laughs> and let's see, crystal chicken. What is that? Sounds exciting. This is segueing good into a next topic for me, actually. Okay. What is this? The the Chinese version of tacos. What is a great (laughs) do-it-yourself dish? Please. The Chinese version of tacos. Nice. I can see it it in a food truck near you. Yeah. The crisp lettuce. These are lettuce wraps. Right. Crystal chicken, my ass. (laughs) Anyhow. Anyhow. I was at Loblaws (coughs) and... I was, um, I mean, uh, and I, you know, they have their Year of the Horse Chinese New Year display up, which consisted of, uh, which consisted of ramen noodles, bottles of soy sauce, and two liter bottles of green tea, like cold green tea. And I thought, how far I've come. But I bet the like I bet the display in Vancouver is better. Like I I bet there was a decree out of the Vancouver store like we should do Chinese New Year. And the guys in Ottawa are like, oh, what the? F-? I don't know. I don't think there's Loblaws in Vancouver. Oh really? There. No, there's like President. There's a um, Superstore. Right. Is the the version? Yeah, it's just there's just not a lot of Asian people here. Yeah. So. I, you know, I just got to keep my expectations low. Right. Oh, it's... suggested wine pairings. <laughs> oh, good. Who needs anything? Um, having looked around for that mic for you and done some yeah. Google searching and then also done some Google searching recently for cloud accounting, mm-hmm. I've become hyper aware of how much Google tracks me. Yes. Like I'm like, whoa. Dudes, that's really like all I'm seeing are mics and cloud accounting software. <laughs> that's it. For yeah. a while, all I was seeing was Canadian Stage. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were really aggressive. Oh, I'm sorry. That's weird. Um, yeah, but it was just funny to be because it also felt like oh, I think like it's weird that I went to the store. I guess I didn't buy any of those things. Like, I don't, if I had bought one of those mics, would they still be advertising for me? And doesn't that defeat the purpose since they, they should, would be, adver- st- they would ad- be, should be advertising, like, add-ons to the mic, not the mic, because I bought I, it. I bought the mic, 
And then they started advertising the mic to me, but I had just bought it. Like literally the next screen, it's like, hey, you would like this mic. You're right. I would like it. In fact, I did like it and I purchased it. So they're tracking you, but they're still not that smart about it. I know. And it seems like other people are. There's a another bucket. Uh, Target is the notorious creepy one that like outed a teenager as pregnant to her parents. <gasps> How did they do that? Because they have algorithms that can tell that you're pregnant by what you buy. Um, like that mm. women start buying certain kinds of cream, start eating slightly differently. Like, so there's a whole bunch of algorithms that can start to say like, oh, this person might be pregnant. And they care a lot about pregnant people. Target does? Well, it's a place in which you might switch your shopping habits. Like it's a, mm -hmm. it's a point in life where you might switch the thing. And so, you know, and also like you might, you might have less time for shopping. And so they want to make sure that, you know, if you're buying milk or if you're buying cereal, but not milk, that they start advertising you milk. Because hmm. they're like, they're buying milk somewhere, somewhere this person is purchasing a milk for that cereal. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not at Target, so let's tell them that we sell great milk. Um, but yeah, anyway, so they sent this woman. So they start. They do it through coupons, and so they started sending to the house coupons that included diapers, like taught infant diapers, like they because they want to they want to get you the coupon before you need the thing. So you're right. like, oh, you're right. I do need to bulk up on diapers. Um and. And this dad called their service person and was very angry about this thing. Like, why are you sending my daughter stuff about babies? What are you thinking? Advertising to teenagers that way. And they were very apologetic, apparently. And then called back, called him back in a few weeks to apologize even more, which is sort of a weird, good customer service story. Uh, and he was like, um, well, actually, we had a talk and she was pregnant. Like, they had been right. Um, they just, it was just inappropriate. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. Like, yeah, 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 that's just, that is the, definitely the world that we're living in where you, some computer somewhere is reading your trash and knows yeah. what you're going to do before. Like, it's, what is, is that, isn't that, um. Isn't that Minority Report, where they know the precogs, the pre know what you're going to do yeah. before you do it? The yeah. precogs. Target's a precog. Yeah. And it's just like, if you do, I mean, there's lots of sci-fi loves the, loves the, if you know all the data, you can predict the future story. Like that's mm -hmm. a, that's, that's a long held, I feel like sci-fi tradition of all these rationalists who are writing books going like, if I just knew everything, I could tell you what was going to happen. Uh, like fringe like that's in fringe um yes fringe and yeah so so yes so your so our ads are uh, that makes me, just advertises itself to me which is perhaps a bad sign for their advertising luminosity audible and mortgage rates i've got universal appliances Book now with Expedia. That's true. I've been on Expedia for days now. 
But I don't know why I'm getting this exp- appliance thing. Yeah. Hurry in. Free you, Gen Air kitchen appliances. Well, you've just been looking at food. Maybe, and I did type the word fridge to you. <laughs> oh. I think it's not quite that precise. <laughs> I hope. Okay, that's, that's the point at which I feel like. Like if, if it's. Yeah. Who I knows? Know, I, guess so. I don't know. Who owns Skype? Microsoft owns Skype. Oh, do they? Yeah, they try to hide it. Good for them to try to hide it because people would be... Well, because people like Skype. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, think, and trust it, right? Like They're like, oh, it works, which is not necessarily your opinion of other Microsoft products. Um, apparently, we're, we're doing thought... a computer podcast. <laughs> yeah. I find that Google Hangout is more stable than Skype. Me too, um, especially for groups. Mm-hmm. I think it seems like uh, either or for not groups, but for more than one person, definitely. So Jacob, what are you working on in Banff? I am working on uh, the Summer Spectacular, which I think is going to be called The Sun with Five Eyes. Sun, mm-hmm. S-U-N. Um, and I am working on the Fun Palace Radio Variety Show. Mm-hmm. And then some grants that are what I need to do for the next two days. <laughs> some <laughs> budgets and some, you know, fitting text into eight pages that say what I need it to say. And, and are you finding it? year funding. <laughs> uh, are ever. you finding it productive up there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah i think my like i think i always i'm a kind of person who always has a like i should be more productive i should have been writing all the time you know and so some of this was in fact for refreshing and so some of it is about not being that crazy hard on myself in the past Mm -hmm. i have good days and bad days about how much i have browser windows open like how much i'm on internet Mm -hmm. um i I think I imagined potentially being totally not and then that I have been less and that's good and maybe that's a habit I can maintain um but but yeah mostly like I certainly the kind of work that I've got done I recognize I sort of only do in periods of time where I'm forced to and also have some conditions like have have the ability to stand up and look at a wall and stick things to a wall and write on like, like we were talking about last time, the whiteboards and all of that is, is always important for me to just remember that, like that I just have to fake working until I begin working. Like I just have to stand up and start writing on the whiteboard and that will become useful. Mm -hmm. You know, this same way as people, uh, Merlin Mann talks about, he's typing when the keys are making the clicking noise or he's writing when the keys are making the clicking noise. Like that's, that's what writing is. And it takes him 20 minutes of making the clicking noise before he really feels like he's having a good time, but he just knows that he has to start making the clicking noise in order to write. Mm -hmm. 
And so I certainly share that. And so it's been good to be here, to be able to be here at any hours. Like some, you know, I haven't, I'm not being super late. I'm actually being way more of an early person than I am at home. Mm -hmm. I think partially I didn't, I haven't particularly adjusted to the time so much. Like I haven't been staying out late at all. Mm -hmm. Like I'm in bed by midnight, but I'm often in my studio by 8.30 or 9.00 which is not true at home. It can't be true. I mean, I guess it could be true. Uh, <laughs> but so that, so just the sort of amount of time that I'm here to get an idea, you know, or be working on something and, and have it there. That certainly, I've been more productive and more productive of a certain kind of creative thought. You know, I work, it's so much, you, probably know the same thing working so much as an independent producer means that I'm often my creativity is like is production questions not not sort of oh what's the story going to be about yeah so I've had more what's the story going to be about time um I've had to deal but had the time to deal with and process like that I I'm not as good a sound editor as I want to be Mm -hmm. um but that just means that I have to do it more like that the, the, you know, going through the process of like the proper response to that is not to not do it. If you want to get better at this, mm-hmm. like one, maybe find some help, take a class, but mostly it's do it more and more and get better and better at it and think about it. And that that's more likely to help than being sad about not being as good at it. Right. Or, you know, so that that's been good having the setup with the mic and and working on this, like all of these things have been good. And there's just, you know, there's no other things that I've had to do. I went to see the first half of the Royal Winnipeg Ballet on Saturday, but then I was like, mm-hmm. I'd rather be in my studio. I'm going to go there. And so I left. It was not a good show. Well, that's too bad. Yeah, I was excited. Or it wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted. So, yeah. We could talk about taste, which is the thing that I, um, yeah, it was, I really like the thing. One of the things that I like about ballet is that there's a lot of people on stage mm-hmm. and just that alone. I'm sort of like, wee, lots of people in unison. Like I'm, whether it's a musical or a ballet, I'm into that kind of stuff. I really enjoy it. And so the first piece sort of satisfied that it was a bit long and formal and just didn't sort of change enough for me. Like I was really into it for the first while and then then started imagining Rabu Bubo, who's one of the dance makers dancers and was mm-hmm. a, was a, a student at the Royal Winnipeg Ballet, probably was in some of their big Christmas shows. I imagined him performing every role, like just clones of him as he is now. And that, that made me really happy for a while. Um, yeah, it just, and then the, then it was going to be all duets and trios and it wasn't, it wasn't so exciting. So I, like, I would rather be somewhere else. So I went somewhere else. Um, with no guilt, with no guilt, which is also a thing about this is Banff and I'm, you know, I think in Toronto I project some image that people are going to notice if I 
walk out um, and care, which may or may not be true, but but I certainly feel. I mean, we also don't have intermissions that much. Mm-hmm. You know, like I would potentially leave more often if there were intermissions. <laughs> if you had the chance, right? If I had the chance without ruining other people's experience or right. causing a scene, right? Both of which I'm far more petrified of than than lots of things but you know i'm more likely to leave it intermission and in a show where i don't where nobody's going to notice that or care like the people who might have noticed um would have understood and and also the answer i went back to my studio and worked is a such a valid answer up here that <laughs> that's really nice mm-hmm. like that's always a way to leave a conversation or not go to a party or not like it's always just like oh no i'm just gonna go to my studio and work and people are like Wait. like the that's nice uh, and it's just you can't it's it's much harder to get interrupted up here so i have yeah. to sit with myself for longer and process whatever thing i'm thinking about and then and then write it get it down and have being able to just sort of put a word on the wall and see it and then have something happen a couple of days later is a really nice like it's just a constant reminder thing like the days have been good when I get up and I do a daily review but that just can mean standing and looking at the wall and reading everything on the wall and seeing what's and then stopping and working on something for a little bit or thinking about something and yeah so that's been really pleasant and ends <laughs> oh, wow. Take this all this damn tomorrow. Uh, yeah. But I wanted to, I, I think, so in listening to, to last week's, I mean, one, I think we could talk about like what the show is for in your proposal. And that I was thinking about that and thinking about taste and how I didn't want it to be about complaining. <laughs> I was like, that was, or felt. And listening to it, I didn't feel so bad about it. But afterwards, I was like, I think I just whined that whole time. And I don't want to do that. I think I'm very capable of it. But I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was thinking about this phrase that I think I've heard. But maybe that's not true. Because, well, Google didn't say anything about it. But it's like, uh, it was about taste. And that you don't talk about the ragu. You don't talk about what's in the sauce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that it's... A, that it's that maybe that's what this is sort of what I imagine talking about in part is talking about what's in the sauce Mm -hmm. for us, if that makes sense. So in terms of how, how we're making things and even what, what is in our, what is in the, our taste, like what is our taste about that? What, what is it in the ballet? Like it's, it's not just the point shoes and the like weird gender, although that deeply weird gender but there was also, even in ballet, like I, you know, I can brush it off as, oh, whatever, I just didn't like it. But there is actual, there's ingredients to that that I feel like we don't right. talk about. You don't talk about, you don't talk about what's in the ragu unless yeah. you make ragu. Yeah. But around and like, you're, yeah. you're curious about it, right? Yeah. So can you talk about what it was that you didn't like about the ballet? Um, 
so I so the first piece was fine. It was just it was too long. Like it was it felt like a formal classical piece, in which I mean there was lots of stuff that was about floor pattern and a traditional ballet gesture, but there wasn't. Um, I didn't, and then when it got into like the duet, the stars duet, I was a little less interested. They like I didn't. I mean, on the means of production, I feel like they drove in a bus from a show last night, got to Banff, teched, and went up. Their energy was lacking. Like I was, like as a as someone who watches a lot of shows, I was like, oh, this isn't this isn't popping. Nobody here is popping. Um, and I think that's energetic, and that's you know, conditions of production can create that very easily. Then there was a Romeo and Juliet duet. And the music wasn't very good, and it wasn't loud and exciting in the way that it at least could be, and there wasn't any chemistry in the vocabulary, the dance vocabulary. <laughs> like, even in, even, yes, I know I'm seeing ballet, um, but it wasn't, there, was, there wasn't much momentum um, or quick starts. Like, it felt very even at a, you know, at a at a six energy level, like you know, it's a lot of work. They're doing difficult things, but it didn't. It wasn't popping, and and those are the things that can potentially get ballet to at least for the evening get past my like. Why why do all these people look the same? What's what's up with these weird roles and? Whoa. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. What's, what's that noise? That is my text message alert sound, also known as R two D two complaining. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. So yeah, so it wasn't. So I think I wanted some energy and to be carried away in spectacle, and it certainly wasn't going to do that. And then the next half was going to be like also small pieces, quartets, quintets to Leonard Cohen music. And I was like, oh, I'm not, I'll just go home. I'll go to the studio and put on my headphones and listen to some Leonard Cohen music. Um, yeah, I get, I mean, the energy, it was, it was, un, I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that I'm not given the dance that I do work on and the worlds that I'm in, that, that me and the Royal Winnipeg Ballet are not a taste match is not surprising. Mm -hmm. uh, I was, I think the, the great thing in Toronto is seeing the ballet in that theater and that the, what, what I've seen has always, they, like they need to sort of produce up into how big and beautiful the, the opera house ballet house is and so it's sort of it's a great experience it's a great exhilarating beauty experience to go to anything at that building that mm -hmm. lives that lives up to the stage and the size of it uh and and i think you know and it's not you know i'm not seeing shows on tour like that's the other thing like the ballets royal winnipeg still tours and that's great but they're touring with an empty stage and a reduced company. Mm -hmm. 
What's the theater like in Banff? It reminds me a lot of SFU, old SFU. Uh, like I think it's built in the same 60s era. So they've mm-hmm. got one that is almost a carbon copy of the main theater at SFU. So the like fairly steep rake, 200 to 300 seater with then a big floor, lots of wing space for dance. And those theaters I, I actually like a lot. I feel like there's a lot of them across Canada. <laughs> Dal, Dalhousie certainly has one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the main stage is bigger. It's it's pretty, they did, a, like, it's there's a lot of wood in it, and that's really nice. Um, it's aged better than the outside of the, those buildings have. And it's it's a big stage. It's what did I see there? I saw oh Spike Lee talking, which was not so much using the full stage either. Uh, but yeah, it's a nice. I wasn't. I don't know what it would be like at the very back, but it's not. It's not either so crazy big that at the back you feel like you're eight miles away. Um, The reason I ask is because you said earlier about how um, you like thinking about the architecture of theater and how it affects performance. Yeah, that one, that one, I mean, it feels a bit like a roadhouse. Like that's, that's the, because it is a roadhouse. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it feels, I liked, I've liked the vibe in the room for the, both of the sort of big events that I saw where like where just everybody in, like there's a lot of people there given the size of town like it's just a there's a nice there's a nice feeling of the wave of coming to and going into the theater right like the when you when I'm walking up from my hut lots of other people are walking up from their huts and the cars are pulling in from town and like and that sort of sudden movement of everybody into that house I've always, the shows have started with me feeling pretty good about what was about to happen. And at least that it felt like event, like, oh, mm-hmm. every weekend there's something at the Banff Center and the Banff community and the Bow Valley people come sometimes or some not. The artists all get free tickets. So we see each other and go to the bar after. Like it's, it's a nice unified activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the buildings around the theaters are in they're just of a certain age right Um, and you know I think could be made sort of productive in a in their agedness about like making them uh I don't know. I walked by it going like, oh, you need to let this degrade a bit, actually. Like, it's it's well-painted old stuff, which makes it feel like, oh, this is, this is just old stuff. <laughs> that Versus like, oh, this is somewhere with old history. Like, there's no, there's both not an up-to-dateness, nor is there a history. And that feels like a weird balance. Like, I'm, I'm really... I'm glad that, you know, this room that I'm in, I think they paint the walls 
fairly regularly because painters care about the white walls, but painters don't care about the floor. And so the floor is covered in paint. And that like, and that's great. I'm totally happy to be in a place that is covered in paint because I'm working. Um, yeah. It's a bit, it's like, it's the NAC. It's the same era, I feel like, as the, as the NAC. Lots of carpet. Um, not really good bar space, meeting space. Hmm. Yeah. What's your, what was your favorite Vancouver theater? Oh, spatially? Yeah. Hmm. Good question. Because um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I prefer to see theater out of theaters. So <laughs> there's that. There's that. Um, so, you know, my favorite theater experiences haven't been in theaters. Uh, I guess the closest would be the Colch. I just, and um, pre Reno and post Reno too. There's just a warmth to that room, to this, to the uh, historic theater. And, um, and, uh, you know, the idiosyncrasy of the sight lines because of all the pillars that weren't, you know, wasn't really solved by the renovation, but that's fine because it's an idiosyncratic space. Um, uh, the fire hall is a nice, fire hall is just like, a. I like these small little rooms uh, where I can feel, where I feel like I can actually see people. Because right. um, you get to you know, the bigger houses and, and the humans feel so far away. Um, and I think I very, I'm just trying to think. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, if we just talk about taste, like that's my taste is to feel like I'm really present in this. Oh, you froze on the word present there oh, um, you, you, you froze. yeah present is the last word that i oh that, that your your thing around taste is that you oh i my thing around taste is that i feel i i want to know that it's important that i'm there right in the same room with the performers and that uh they know i'm there i know i'm there i know they're there right. and that we're inhabiting the same space and that's the kind of theater i really really like uh, I, and I, because that to me is what the, that is the thing that theater does that best. And did that, was that, did you come into SFU or to making theater thinking that? Like what was your, when you came in? Oh, well, I went to SFU and was interested in SFU because I was interested in creating new work. And that's because when I graduated from high school in Calgary, I did a year as a junior apprentice at Alberta Theatre Projects, and I got to work on the Playwrights Festival. And that just, I felt, you know, it's partly the camaraderie of working on a festival, but it was also the, the intellectual um, challenge of thinking about new plays that I felt like used more use more of my skills or my interests. And so that's what brought me to SFU. And then in 
I don't know. I'm sure we talked about like what is the thing that theater does that and so it was I think by the time I left SFU it was something about being everybody's in the same room. Mm-hmm. Um and then it I think it was in the work that I did soon after and it was that I started to get more interested in smaller groups of of audience and it was probably the the installation work around Hive that really, really cemented that for me. And I had a whole kind of series of projects that I wanted to do um, that flew under, that, you know, were kind of secret projects or underground projects that they weren't, it wasn't about um, getting the word out to a large number of people and it wasn't about um, uh, drawing in huge crowds, but it was actually about the the quality of the relationships when you're actually inside of it. So, um, I think the, uh, the, the letter, the letter writing project that I did was one of those. And some of the, the Scrabble, the Scrabble projects that I did, even those, even though those were broadcast, um, they were still very relational. Yeah. I saw the Scrabble one in, at the theater center, you were on the phone or on Skype from somewhere. That's right. I was on Galliano Island. <laughs> It was very early in the morning (laughs) and it was very like very challenging to facilitate a game of Scrabble over the phone with a bunch of people you can't see, Um, but fun. I mean, that to me was, was about reintroducing a sense of playfulness in games. Like let's just play because why does it all have to be so serious all the time? That's, that's also a very good topic. Yeah, I mm-hmm. feel like the part of the thing about the spectacle shows, when I like them, is that I also think that big spectacle and big musicals can also tell us that we're in the same room. They're also very clear that they're putting on a show and that we're watching a show and that our energy and their energy are related. And that makes so much sense to me that I'm like, all oh, right, like, you know, there's no reason for this chorus line to be going on right now except that you're doing a show. And you're looking out at us and we're seeing you and having the energy. Like it's actually the the kitchen sink in the big theater. And I'm like, I, now I'm really confused. I think that the, the, the in terms of large scale show uh, where I've experienced what I think you're describing is, uh, is the Beastie Boys. I went to see the Beastie Boys at the Pacific Coliseum. And they love their audience. Like they truly, deeply love the people who come out and see their shows. And you can feel that. You just feel it. And you feel it in the way that they talk to the audience between the, sh- between the tunes. You feel it in the way that they perform. You just feel it in the way that they take care of the people in the front rows. And, and it comes through the music. And also because um, I think that's why I like loud music. I mean, not like I get a lot of chances to go out these days, but going to concerts loud music it's uh visceral Mm -hmm. you feel it in your body and you know you're high i was high for probably a week and a half just off of the music after uh, over having my i was like i thought that story was going somewhere no 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 we don't do that here in ottawa um but (laughs) like having all my cells yeah um vibrated was 
uh, exhilarating and and it's stuck with me and and anytime I've gone to a concert where the music is just like sweeps you up and sweeps you away uh, the, that uh, transcendence of the body I think is perhaps what you're talking about with the spectacle and and actually on a smaller scale just going back to the the keys making that sound or whatever, the clicking. I feel like I write best when I cannot hear the keys. Hmm. So when I have headphones on or music or whatever, and I can feel my body moving, but I don't hear the keys and I don't hear the environment around me, that's when I feel like I can get into the zone. And I think it's probably, now now that we're talking about it, I think it's related to the rock music experience. Do you experience. listen too loud? Like, do you listen to pump music mm, not necessarily i'll listen to um usually i would listen to one cd over and over and over again then it might be i don't know it not is not usually like like it's not something that's got it it's not about that it's just about uh, in a way it's about marking time so i know oh this song's come along you know i get a sense of the time passing and it's also I'm familiar enough with it that the words no longer come. They no longer, I don't have to pay attention to them. And and then it's just about filling the space of the room, which I think is going to be so much more more effective with my new headset. Yeah, they're good for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I Yeah, I do roughly the same, I, except I tend to make large... I don't do the time thing. I do large, large, large playlists that I just hit random on. But they're almost always, they're like things I'm familiar with. Like there might be one or two things in it that I know less well, but I never want to be like, oh, what's this song? Like <laughs> I'm trying to avoid that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I go between either sort of like the the thing that my first week here I was totally addicted to and really have stopped listening to almost entirely uh but was great for that first week was the songza has a playlist of npr's like npr did a like hey everyone send us your favorite workout songs (laughs) and so it's this very very long playlist of a very diverse group of people but not really that diverse like all pretty good taste sending in their workout songs and it's amazing it's great. Uh, and, and so that for a while, that was, that's good for like the wall work. Mm. Um, like that's good for, Oh, my body's moving. I want to keep like that. I'm physical is important. And then also like Bach cello concertos and white noise. And I have a white noise. Yeah. One track, only one track particularly. I've never found another one that I like, but I like this one. Uh, and, and then I have a mix of solo piano that's Gonzalez and Thelonious Monk. <laughs> it's just like, it's only people playing solo piano. And mm-hmm. I could theoretically put more into it, but that's another one that goes on to like, just take up part of my, fill the space in a certain way. Mm-hmm. I like to fill a space when I can't sleep, which, you know, since having a baby, I haven't had this problem Um of lying in bed and, and, you know, I fall asleep pretty quickly, except when I don't. But um, 
I would listen to uh, I would listen to CBC Ideas. Mm-hmm. I'd find like the most boring oh, I, I podcasts, and then I would just listen to CBC Ideas because that crazy part of my brain that's always like would go like, "Ooh, really?" and pay attention to that, and it would just trick me long enough to fall asleep. I have I don't do it with ideas mostly because it doesn't trick me anymore. I'm just like, "Oh, you guys are you used to be so good." But now I, I have a whole sort of like area of my podcast. So like all those British shows are actually about me falling asleep. Mm. They're like, I like them and I, and I will. Now I have a podcast player that like I can set to play 15 minutes of this and then shut off. Oh, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll probably be asleep. So we don't have to like at least let me remember that I was listening to this historical piece. Uh, but that I think started... Uh, CBC radio overnight would come on yeah. at one and that was always the thing that was I was going to bed with and and all of those broadcasters have like slightly British accents like weird British Dutch combination or weird like but they're all Australian Australian but they're also mm-hmm. being like international radio voices yeah and so there's just something about like this American life can't do it can't fall asleep to that like I'll just I'll stay awake and listen to it I can Oh yeah. Um, not all of them. Not all of them. But some of them. Yeah, and I and I can if I've heard it before. But it is totally putting a little bit of my mind onto like here, think about this. Don't freak out about whatever thing you're supposed you're wanting to freak out of. Think about mm-hmm. think about early Chinese history and how interesting it is about when they find big pieces of data like when they find you know listen to these british scholars talk about it and off i am go yeah and then i end up in these conversations where i'm like oh i heard this thing on some podcast and i have no idea because i might have because you were asleep asleep. (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) oh dear um yeah, I was there. I almost wondered about ragu as a show name because it's meaningless. Ragu. Well, let's look it up. What does it, uh, what uh, is it's, ragu? It's really just the sauce. It's meat sauce, it, and it's like, and it's meat sauce with, with like lots of stuff in it, but nobody agrees on what stuff. Mmm. Like there's tons a main of dish tons. stew. Yeah. Ragu versus ragu. Well. <laughs> That's because there's a Unilever company that makes tomato sauce. Main dish stew. Um, well, ragu is fine, but I mean, but anything is fine by me right now. I'm very amenable to most things because I'm so, like, whatever. <laughs> well, I feel <laughs> like that, like ragu, at, like at least embraces my what the whateverness of it. Like it, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel overly precious or. <laughs> um, yeah, short. so let's just let's just review some of the other names that we had. We sure. had first we had fail better. Fail better, which, which made I, you feel bad because it had the word fail in it. Um, I think especially after coming out of feeling like I was complaining too much, I was like, oh, this is gonna let me com- like this is gonna let me talk about what is wrong with things rather than what's in things. <laughs> like I like the idea of ragu because it's like at least it's what's in things that we're talking about not what the failure was and how we might improve upon it. Uh, right, That right. will come out like it's a barely actual difference, but somehow it, 
yeah, somehow yeah, fail like, better. I, I felt like I was going to return, you know, and I'm totally happy to talk about failure and think it would be an interesting thing to talk about, but somehow. Well, I, th I, I like this um, value of thinking about, of talking about what's in things and not just like complaining about the soup, you know, because it feels more constructive and it seems coming out of our conversation last week that this idea of constructive um, conversation and, and critical discourse is something that we both share as a value that we could uh, use to help sh shape this stew. I have a performance experience to share. Oh, yeah. We took Elkie to see... Can we just pause for one moment while I plug my computer in? Yeah, can I get it? I'm going to get a yeah. beer. All right, okay. do it. And pause. we're at the beer pause. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Okay, I thought I would save this for you. Whoops. Brought the shitty opener. Ugh. Oh, yeah, you need yeah. a new opener. That sucked. Okay. I'm not in Foley. I'm not the Foley artist. I once was. <sighs> okay. Okay, so, so we yeah. took Elkie to a play called Flo, which was a French play for children 18 months to four years old. Mm -hmm. It's a big, it's a big. It's a big developmental range. Yeah. But it's, so a, it's he, also a big, like, it's a thing. People are trying to find out how to make theater for those, pe for those people. The baby theater. Yeah. I saw some, I took him some, to some baby theater last year in May. So he would have been uh, seven months, eight months. I should know. But um, he it's really interesting to watch him watch things. I think that this piece was a little bit too long. He had to take a milk break in the middle. But then uh, he was back right back into it. The flow was? Yeah. yeah. Was the, the show he saw, the Danish, the Danish baby theater he saw was only about 20 minutes long, 25 minutes. So it was just the right. And it was for babies six months to two years. So it was very, like, very little kids. And the thing I liked about it is um, I went to a, a, uh, a talk, an artist talk with the, the creators. They're like, well, it's, they said it comes for us. It comes out of like the rights of the child, the UN's rights for the child, one of which is culture, that children have a right to culture. And um, that, that means that they have a right to watch theater and artworks that have that are not educational <laughs> that are not have no kind of ulterior motive of teaching them something um because frankly like they're learning all the time yeah you don't have to teach them anything they'll figure they're i don't teach him to put things into things he just does it i just give him things to put into other things yeah yeah, so it seems like now, you know, post-traumatic work was the first thing, first wave, and now yeah. baby theater. Baby theater. Really big. 
It's really big in Europe. Really big in Europe. I mean, there's a, you know, people will pay mm. for that shit. Okay, listen to this. It didn't work. Uh, the first gulp was good. Mm. <laughs> the chugging is not, it's not worth it as an experiment. No. no. I think it's that first, anyhow. I'm, 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 I'm not yeah. very focused. We could, this would, uh, the beer break in, in the tech stuff is really where they, I think that's actually, I think what they do when they switch to the after dark. Like they have a like, beer. Like the show is over and now, now we're actually just shooting the shit. Um, yeah, they have a beer. They cuss more because they're more concerned about the explicit rating on iTunes. Oh, because they're Americans, and I think Americans care more about that. I I think it actually, and it does. Like, you will never be a featured podcast on iTunes if you are ranked explicit. Or would we be explicit? Um, so far, I I just cut swore. It would just be about swearing. It's just swearing. Yeah, because we're not like insulting anyone. No, that's fine to do. You just can't swear. Like Americans, oh. like you can blow shit up and kill people and torture them, but a single breast and that's an R-rated film. Like that, that. <laughs> uh, so a There's, single cuss word is uh, it, gets right. You. That's that's what explicit is. Is it safe for radio? Oh, yeah. So you have to cut. I'll 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 try and uh, bring it down. I I will assume to put an explicit. Actually, like it just it makes it easier. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I think I think I'm I I feel more of a threat from me than from you on the explicitness. I actually swore while I was changing his oh, yeah, yeah while I was while I was changing his diaper today because and not just like fucking shit. No, it wasn't that. <laughs> so I said, motherfucker, because it was just like. Can't you see I'm trying to help you? Like, do you want to walk around with poo everywhere? See that itself. That's an explicit. Yeah. Oh. What? No. Did your furnace just go on? Yeah. Oh, there it is. Ah, I heard it. Yeah, it's loud. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Good. Uh...